This morning, we're continuing on in our series entitled, Untying What's Tying You Up, based on the scripture found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. You all know it by now. Would you all say it out loud with me? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And especially that middle phrase, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles or binds you up in a knot. And, uh, and you know, I mean, there are so many things that are always coming at us. It seems like there's always so many things that are throwing themselves in our way, things that are trying to lead us off the straight and narrow path. And sometimes we can get tired. Sometimes you can get discouraged and begin to think, you know, how am I ever going to make it? Sometimes it can feel like you're all alone, like you're running this race all by yourself, that nobody understands what you're going through. And I like what the writer of the book of Hebrews tells Jesus' followers about that. He says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, these witnesses that he's referring to are first, he's talking about the people that he mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 who faced difficult trials and yet came through victorious. Many people have gone through the same struggles that you have. Many people have gone through the same temptations that you have and have come out victorious. And it's not just ancient people from the Bible either. Many people throughout history and down through our day have faced the exact same things that you are going through and have overcome trials and temptations with the help of God. You are not alone. There are many people who can show you the way, many people who can help you. So, so now, so far in this series, we've looked at several different things that can tie you up and how to untie these knots. This morning, we want to look at another knot that can tie you up and hinder your walk with Jesus if you're not careful. It's the knot of lust and sexual immorality. And this knot, it may be one of the most dangerous knots of all. It's very destructive. It ruins families. It brings shame. It damages and cuts off your relationship with God and damages your relationships with people who are closest to you. It's a dangerous knot, and it can be a very powerful knot. First, it can be powerful because it, it likes to hide in the shadows. It likes to stay in secret, and it increases power by avoiding the light. And second, it can be powerful because it is a distortion of something that God himself designed. God is the one who invented this kind of intimacy. It's a creation and gift of God Almighty. And time doesn't allow for me to go through all that the scriptures have to say about this gift, but I do want to say as straightforwardly as I can that the clear message of the scriptures is that this intimacy is a gift that God intends and insists should only be experienced between a husband and wife in a monogamous marriage relationship. It should only be experienced within the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. Anything outside of this is what the Bible calls sexual immorality. And this knot of sexual immorality and lust is dangerous and powerful. 
It has destroyed kings and priests and lay people alike. King David's family was fractured by it. Samson fell because of it. The whole Israelite community succumbed to it only just a few days after they had been delivered from Egypt and passed through the Red Sea. And the priest Eli, his house was destroyed because he failed to restrain his sons in this matter. And today, it is more rampant in our society than ever before, due in large part to the ease of access to illicit material on the internet and on social media. Nearly every day there's a new headline of someone whose life or career is, or family is destroyed due to this. And according to some studies, somewhere between 33% and 51% admit to viewing pornography at least once a month with as many as 12% viewing it daily. That is astounding. That's an astounding figure. That's, in America alone, something between 30 and 40 million people every single day. You know, and I wish I could tell you that it doesn't affect Christians in any way. However, according to a number of surveys, believers are involved as much as non-believers are. In one survey, 45% of professing Christians admitted that pornography is a major problem in their home. Now, that's not saying that 45% view it. If you've got a home of two, three, four, five, six, seven people, that's 45% of Christians saying that somebody in their home has a major problem with pornography. In 1994, when the Internet was still in its infancy, 53% of those who attended Promise Keepers that year admitted that they had viewed pornography that week. In another survey, 34% of female readers of today's Christian woman admitted to intentionally accessing Internet porn. And one out of every six said that they struggle with addiction to pornography. It affects men and women. It affects believers and non-believers. And I really, I really, really wish that I could tell you this morning that it doesn't affect children. But it does. You know, back in the days uh, before the internet, people had to go to stores and other um, places to try to get access to this smut, but, and they had to produce an ID if they wanted to, to purchase it. It was difficult for children to access illicit materials back then, but all of that has changed. Did you know that the median age at which children are now exposed to pornography is 10 or 11 years old? 10 or 11 years old. How in the world are children that young getting exposed to pornography? It's through the devices that they use. Did you know that the median age that a child receives their first sexting message is between 10 and 11 years old? I mean, it doesn't take long. And, and they're not equipped to handle that. I mean, listen, I'm not equipped spiritually to handle that. Right? You're not equipped to handle that. That's not something we handle. Right? That's something we avoid. And so how much less is a 10 and 11-year-old equipped to handle that? And now I know that you know, most parents would never intentionally hand their child illicit material and say, hey, why don't you go to your room for a while and just, just look at this for a while? 
You know, but that is the practical effect of what is happening to, to many teenagers. Did you know that 90% of boys and 60% of girls under the age of 18 have already been exposed to this material? And increasing numbers are accessing it regularly. And if you think it's hard for adults to resist, it's even harder for teenagers. And if you think the effects are devastating for adults, it's even more devastating for teenagers. So I encourage you parents and even, even grandparents, if you have influences in this area, to not give your teens one of these devices or any internet accessible device without putting some safeguards on it. Put filtering devices on it. Put accountability services on it so that you can get notified if they go to any inappropriate sites and look at any social media accounts. Uh, oh, and you should look at their social media accounts and their texts and see what they're getting, see what they're sending, and see what they're getting. You know, uh, every once in a while, I'll have a parent say to me, well, yeah, but my, but my kid's going to complain about their privacy, you know, or say something like, oh, you don't trust me. Um, can I ask you a question? So what? <laughs> you know, it's so what? I mean, their spiritual well-being is at stake, and they're actively being targeted by people who have a financial stake in getting your child hooked on this stuff. They are being targeted. And you would never pay someone to come into your home and show your kids all kinds of illicit material and then to leave it all around their bedrooms, right? Yet effectively, that is what's happening to millions of teens all across the world when people give them a device and then put no protections on it. Let me speak to any teenagers who are in the room right now. You know, if your parents are looking at your stuff and they're reading your texts and they're looking at your social media and all of that and putting stuff on your, on your devices, can I tell you, please don't give them a hard time about that. You know, don't say you don't trust me. Don't complain. Instead, say thank you. Say thank you. It's because they love you and they're looking out for you. As a matter of fact, if you have one of these, teenager, and that doesn't have an accountability software and protections on it, bring it to your parents and say, can you please put some accountability stuff on this for me to help me? Someone say amen to that. You know, <laughs> teens, uh, you need to do that. And I wish that I could say that it doesn't affect anyone who comes to First Assembly. I wish I could say that. And although I don't have any specific knowledge of anyone's involvement here with this at this moment, Here's what I do know. Every single believer deals with the temptation to sexual sins. And if these statistics are true that we've just read, there are likely people here who are struggling with various levels of sexual immorality or addictions. It affects people from all walks of life, businessmen, captains of industry, teachers, religious leaders, political leaders, cultural leaders, everyday people. It has destroyed unbelievers, and it has destroyed professing Christians as well. But at the same time, there are some awesome examples of victory in this area that we see in the Bible. Joseph had a very powerful woman try repeatedly to seduce him, but he remained faithful and pure due to the fear of God that was in his life. Job said this, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a young woman. And there were many prophets and apostles and servants of God in the Scriptures who never had any inkling of this sin charged against them. 
And so knowing what the state of affairs is in our society and knowing what the Bible has to say about it, I'm compelled to talk about this knot today. And now I understand that it may be a little uncomfortable for some. And I want you to know, it's not my goal to make anyone uncomfortable, and, you know, and I want to address this with, with as much reverence as I possibly can. But the fact is, I would be a bad shepherd if I didn't address this. And so it's my goal today to help us as the body of Christ to walk in victory. It's my goal to, to drag this thing out of the shadows and darkness where it likes to hide and expose it to the light of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. First, I'm going to talk just a little bit about some of the things the Bible says about sexual immorality and lust. And uh, then I've asked Pastor Bernie if he'd come back and share and talk about some of the addictive uh, nature of it. Many of you know Pastor Bernie works at and ministers at Teen Challenge. And so he's going to come and, and share some of the addictive uh, nature of it. And then uh, we're going to hear a testimony. And then I'm going to return and conclude with a way out for people who are struggling with this on any level. All right, so let's look at the scriptures this morning. This issue of sexual immorality is addressed in almost every letter in the New Testament. And before that, even Jesus called it an evil thought. He said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, and then he went on. And then in the letters, almost every letter um, addresses this issue. To the Romans, Paul said this, he said, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in sexual immorality and debauchery. To the Corinthians, he wrote, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And then just a few verses later, he said, flee, flee, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Say, did you know that the Bible says to stand firm and resist the devil, but it says to flee sexual immorality? Hey man, here's the idea. The devil himself comes against you, and the Bible says to stand there and resist him in the name of Jesus. But it says if all of a sudden sexual immorality uh, shows its ugly face, he says you're not supposed to stand. You're supposed to turn the other way and run away. In Galatians, Paul said to the Galatians, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And then it goes on to list several other things. But the first three are sexual sins. In Ephesians, he said, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Say, how much is acceptable? Not even a hint. In Colossians, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, and lust. And then he goes on with some other things again. But again, the first three are sexual sins. And then in, to the Thessalonians, he said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And then Peter said this in his general epistle to all believers, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust, and then he goes on with other things. And then in the book of Acts, there's a really interesting passage. In chapter 15, we have 
this controversy that was surrounding uh, uh, Paul's preaching of the gospel, and there were those who felt that you know, all these Gentiles who were coming to Christ should be forced to obey the law of Moses if, if they were going to be Christians. And, uh, and so this, they, they, they called this council in, in Jerusalem, uh, the church in Jerusalem, and the Judaizers criticized Paul and Barnabas because they weren't requiring the Gentile believers to, to follow all the law of Moses. And it was a big debate. And uh, in the end, the apostles and the Christian leaders in Jerusalem agreed with Paul, and they decided to send a letter to all of the non-Jewish Christians validating Paul's message. And the only things they added were that they should abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, and from blood, and from meat of strangled animals, because those things had to do with idol worship, which was also rampant during that time. And the only other thing they added beyond that was that they should abstain from sexual immorality. Now, they could have told them to abstain from all kinds of other things that are in the New Testament. I mean, they could have told them to abstain from anger or rage or malice or greed and all sorts of other things that the New Testament says to avoid. But when they had the opportunity to write a letter addressed to all of the non-Jewish Christians, the one thing that they felt compelled to mention above everything else was that they should avoid sexual immorality. And then one more. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this. He said, You have heard that it was said... To those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Hey, that is serious, isn't it? And Jesus is saying, get a little radical. He, and so he's saying, not only avoid the outward actions of sexual immorality, but the inward motivations as well. And so from these scriptures, there's a few things that I think we can take away. First, any sexual activity outside of marriage is immoral. It's a sin against God. Lusting after another person who is not your spouse is also what the Bible calls sexual immorality. Fantasizing, thinking about sex with anyone who is not your spouse is lust, is sexual immorality. And this also would include the viewing of illicit and pornographic materials. It's sin. The making of it is sin, the reproducing of it is sin, the distributing of it is sin, and the use of it is sin in God's eyes. And all of these things are not just sin, but they are also damaging spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. Now, with this as a backdrop, I've asked Pastor Bernie if he'd come uh, to share a few minutes with you, and he's going to share on some of the things that happen to a person when they're involved in the Sexual addictions. Here you go. Thank you, Pastor. I'm far from an expert <coughs> on this, but God is. Amen. One of the things that I do ask, all right, when our students do come in in an interview, and uh, very surprisingly, that I found out, the question I ask them is, is when, how old are you when you first um, had a drink of alcohol or any kind of drug whatsoever? 
the average age is from 10 to 13 years of age. The next question, when was your first sexual experience? Same thing, 10 to 13 years of age. Where does it come from? Well, as the pastor was sharing a lot of those scriptures, this is a real problem, and not within just the secular world, but within Christianity itself. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. I want to share a story of a man that we're going to leave unnamed. No one here, um, but someone else. And uh, this is the story in which he shared. He says, one night I walked into an adult bookstore and entangled myself in the use of pornography. I was a 23-year-old Christian, well on my way to a fully backslidden state. I was considering at the time to indulge in the many sexual sins that I had, at that point, only allowed myself to imagine. That evening, my decision was sealed when I embraced what I now call the dark magic. The magical qualities of pornography were obvious and immediate. One glance around that room full of graphic sexual images sent a rush through my system, very much like a narcotic response. The longer I glazed, the more intoxicated I became. And over the next few hours, the pornography brought me temporary escape and acceler acceleration. I had found a new drug, and it seemed to work beyond my expectations. I revisited the pornography shop nightly for the next two weeks. I then found a web websites that brought me into the pornography sites. I then spiraled into the use of prostitutes, an affair with a married woman, homosexuality, and a five-year habit of degrading sexual practices, I was hooked. Not everyone, that was the end of his story, but not everyone who sees pornography will become addicted to it. Some will just come away with toxic ideas about women, sex, marriage, and children. That kind of damage in itself is bad enough. And pornography isn't the only ingredient in addiction. Usually those who become addicted have some kind of emotional opening that allows the addiction to take root. There's a cause for this. Root causes of pornography, and they found the number one root cause is what's called narcissism. Narcissism, which is an excessive interest in oneself and one's physical appearance, extreme selfishness and self-centeredness. Now, this is all caused through emotional openings, emotional response that people go through in life. Many times it happens from childhood. It could have been rejection. It could have been um, uh, fear of rejection. It could have been molestation from uh, not, not just parents, but it could be molestation from some family member, or it could be molestation also from right, an outside source. There's many, many reasons for it, but the key to this is to understand what causes all of this and to get to the root cause of it because God, through that root, can pluck out that root and heal that person because Jesus came to set the captive free. Amen? Yes, amen. There's a threefold pattern here when it comes to an experience. First comes the discovery of hyper-stimulating experience the repetition of the experience, and 
last a dependence on the experience as a means of coping or functioning in life. In other words, a person cannot cope in life without this experience in which they're going through a pornography. It's all you think about. All that person thinks about is constantly seeing some type of pornographic material and then eventually what ends up happening, they end up becoming actually the, 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 uh, uh, the result takes place in which comes, it could come from rape, it could come from uh, molestation for someone, it could come to, and that's why our jails are full today, and that's why it's an addiction, mm -hmm. very much so. Yeah. Spiritually, now it becomes a stronghold to a Christian, to anybody, it becomes a stronghold in a person's life. A stronghold wraps you and it grips you and it holds you so tightly that you can't get out of this. See, we are here to destroy, through God's help, to destroy the stronghold. We're not here to remodel the stronghold. Amen? Right, amen, amen. I remember the story about the blind man, Bartimaeus, when Jesus was passing by and he said, he heard Jesus coming by, he couldn't see him, and he cried out to Jesus, he said, Jesus, he says, come. And therefore, they were all telling blind Bartimaeus, be quiet. Be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. That man knew he had one shot. He knew he had one shot. He said, Jesus is passing by this one time, and I'm not going to let him pass by. He said, I'm going to do everything I can. And he became even louder and louder and louder until Jesus, he ended up getting the attention of Jesus. And Jesus turned to him. He said, what do you want me to do for you? And it's amazing, isn't it? The man's blind. But Jesus was asking him this question because the blind man said to him, he says, I want to be able to see. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. I really believe today that Jesus is here. Jesus is here. He's present. And Jesus wants to break through into somebody's life here today. Amen. 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 I really, truly believe that. The pastor and I, Amen. we both are in agreement on this. Amen. Otherwise, he would not be doing this message today if it mm. wasn't sent it into his very heart to be able to speak this. And mm -hmm. I give him a lot of credit because this is not an easy subject. Amen. Mm. Amen. The lethal effects of pornography emotionally in our life. The use of pornography weakens the person doing it. It creates a dependency. And secondly, it causes a disruption of one flesh. The one flesh human, uh, the union in which weakens Christian marriages. Thirdly, it results in a distortion in thinking that weakens a person's ability to relate to others and function properly in life. Following on the heels of this intoxicating sexual experience comes shame, worthless feelings, feelings of being a, fa a failure, condemnation and anger, hopelessness, withdrawal from people. You can't trust people. For if they found out what you have done, they would be disgusted. No different than being addicted to a drug. You need to call out for help. No one lives m with more shame, isolation and fear of alienation than one that is addicted to pornography. Paul the Apostle says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I, want to do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin that's living in, in me. We need to recognize what the problem is. The problem is always sin. See, it's not addiction. It's always sin. And that's what causes the addiction. The internet is known as the crack and the cocaine of sexual addiction. And Pastor, uh, he referred to that through that simple little phone that we carry around that could be so powerful and destructive in our life. 
Pornography consumption can be mood-altering, as addictive as a narcotic. The person is now in bondage to pornography, which is a sexual sin. There's a growing dependency for more, like a drug or alcohol addiction. Pornography affects this little brain of ours. The use of it creates internal stimulants which cascade through the bloodstream. This is called dopamine or endorphins. These are opioid chemicals, which is absolutely amazing. What are we struggling with today? An opioid addiction, are we not? But here it, it speaks about that this is an opioid chemical that's produced by the central nervous uh, system and pituitary gland. This chemical is responsible for sending messages between the brain and different nerve cells of our body. What is happening simply is that your brain is getting totally rewired. That's what's happening. So what's an addiction? An addiction is a stimulus in the brain. And when a person experiences significant stimulation, the hormone uh, epinephrine is, sec is secreted into the bloodstream by the adrenal gland. Epinephrine stamps emotional memories into the brain. These memories continue to surface regardless of the person's desire to forget. See, the problem is they can't forget. It, it keeps on coming up, keeps on coming up. So the more that we're into this, it keeps on coming back to us, and we can't seem to forget this. And then what aids and helps everybody in this sin is through cable, DVDs, uh, the Internet. Virtually anyone wanting to view pornography can do so with minimal effort. During the month of the year 2002, 28 million Internet vis uh, use, uh, users visited porn sites. Americans spent an estimated $220 million, and Americans are expected to spend $320 million annually on pornography sites by the year 2005. But most recent survey says X-rated sites are generated anywhere from $10 to $20 billion a year. At first glance, this appears to be a secular problem, and in fact, it is a problem more commonly found today, as the pastor shared, among Christians than any of us would even care to admit. The use of pornography is not restricted to men either as often as, as, as we assume. A focus poll indicated that one out of every six women surveyed viewed por pornography regularly. Consider the prevalence of pornography use among Christians. It's time that we examine the effect it's having on individuals and families within the church and on our Christian witness. In the book of James, it tells us in chapter 4, verse number 17, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. When you do your part, God will do his part. He gives you his Holy Spirit to keep you pure in thought, word, and deed. And instead of allowing lustful thoughts to continue to dominate your mind, program your conscious mind with the word of God and don't let the perversion of the world affect you. There is help. There's many ways to get help. You want to keep it confidential? You have a pastoral staff here who love you and care about you very much. We're not here to hurt you at all. We're here to help you. And God help us if we ever let this out. Because we'll have to answer before a higher power, and his name is Jesus. Amen? But that's why we're here. That's why your pastor's here. All right? We're here to be able to reach out and to help you. 
but we can't do it. Don't look, all right, to look for the solution through certain programs. Programs are just vehicles. That's all they are. You've got many of them out there. Uh, Covenant Eyes is one of them. You've got Celebrate Recovery is another. There's another, uh, another, uh, 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 another group called Triple X Church. There's many different. Uh, freedom begins here and then every man's battle. There's many different vehicles that God gives. But the vehicle is, the true vehicle, his name is Jesus. See, if you look through, those are the, that's, that's to get to, but you've got to look to Jesus. Jesus is the one that has come to set the captive free. I believe in my heart that someone today will be set free in Jesus' name. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Perny, so much. I just want to drive a couple things home that, that he said. Uh, first, when he mentioned that uh, those chemicals being released in your uh, brain, uh, epinephrine and uh, endorphins and, and combining, it creates a high. And the research shows that just like any other drug where the same hit doesn't do it for you and you need a stronger and stronger and stronger hit, that's what happens with pornography. You know, and it needs stronger and stronger and stronger and more grotesque forms. Things that would have disgusted people when they first started. All of a sudden, they need to get that same high. And then the other thing, when he said that your brain is rewired. I was reading an article that said that these uh, epinephrine and endorphin, when it's repeated that way, it actually shrinks your prefrontal cortex, which is that part of your brain that is in charge of executive functions, the part that gives you your decision-making power. You know, the part that says, you know, man, it would be fun to go 100 miles an hour, but a bunch of people might die, so I'm not going to do that, right? Or it would be fun to do this, but it's really dangerous, right? Well, that part of your brain shrinks and, uh, and leaving you with less uh, control of your decisions and more ruled by your emotions. So thank you so much, Pastor Bernie, for that. Now, uh, you know, remember I said earlier, this is a, a sin that likes to hide in the darkness. It gains power from being in the darkness, but when you drag it out into the light, it begins to lose its power. So we have a testimony that our brother is going to come and share right now. So would you welcome Stace here? And uh, God bless you, Stace, for being willing to share your testimony in this. And uh, this is being dragged into the light of the Lord Jesus. He's going to take five minutes or so and share his walk in this. Five minutes uh, to Pastor Mark is uh, 15 minutes, so... Um, as, you, <laughs> as you all know, this is a growing problem uh, in the community as well as in the church. And the only way that I could talk about this is because in one way or form, I myself lived through that. With not going into great detail, it, it breaks apart relationships. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend breaks it apart. Now, we all come in here, we are all broken in one way or another. We don't want to admit it, but we are. And it's okay to admit that. I've learned that, and that's why I'm here today. Ricardo Sanchez is an artist that I, I listen to, a Christian artist, and I, I emailed this to, or texted this to Pastor Mark and Pastor and Mary, and the beginning of his song is He's preaching to his, to his people, his congregation. And the whole time he's saying, nail it to the cross. 
lay it at the cross. And honestly, for me, that is something that I did when we had an event up in Young Adults. The only thing we had to do was give up that free will that God has given us, give it to him, and allow his son with the blood of Christ to be taken away. For some, it is an everyday struggle. It really is. Because, like you said, it is as easy as holding up an electronic device. For those of us that are older in the room, it was as easy as just putting in a videotape or even a DVD. And at that point, it was easily accessible because you could go anywhere within a stone's throw and find something of that form or whether it was a uh, magazine of sort. But if you are struggling with it, lay it down at the cross. Mm -hmm. There will be this overwhelming relief and overwhelming joy in your life. You will see that he will begin to fix everything that was tainted, everything that was broken in your life. He will make it new again. He will bring you so much joy and so much satisfaction. And I will tell you this much, and I've, I've heard it from gentlemen up at Teen Challenge, that this feeling of being able to lay everything down and giving it to God is much more than any drug or any other uh, addiction could ever give you. So if you are dealing with it, we have a great pastoral staff here. If you're still unsure, I am available as well. And I will tell you, and we could sit in private, and I will tell you exactly what I did and what I had to go through. But I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you the same way that I will tell you, it's as easy as laying it down in front of the cross and saying, Jesus, please take this away from me. I don't need this in my life. I need to be fixed again. I am broken, and I am that clay that needs to be shaped and molded into what you want me to do. So. God bless you guys. Amen. Thank you, Stace. Uh, so we talked about this morning about what the problem looks like today, what the Bible has to say about it. We talked about what addiction does to you, and uh, we've talked about how sexual immorality and lust and pornography will tie you up in a dangerous and powerful knot. So now let's talk about a way out, a Bible way out, how to get free. I'm going to give you five things from the scriptures that you need if you're going to untie this knot. These things are things you ought to take notes on, whether you're tied up in this knot or whether there's somebody that you're thinking about that God wants you to help to untie this knot. These are Bible things that will help us untie this knot. The first is this, confess your sins. Confess your sins. Let me show you what the Bible says about the process of the development of sin. In James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, it says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's a process to the growth of sin. And, and James compares it to something everyone can understand. He compares it to the process 
of childbirth. See, in the natural, a child is conceived. And at first, it's very small. So small that no one even may know that it's there. But it doesn't stay small. It grows, and after a while, this little bump appears. And you can't see a baby, but everyone knows that something is going on. Right? Now, most of the ladies know me. I think she's pregnant. But the guys are like, you know, I thought she was just gaining weight or something. You know? And then a little more time goes by, and the bump gets bigger, and, and you still can't see a baby, but everybody knows now that there's a baby in there. Right? And you, you, you don't know what color its hair is, eyes, you don't know if it's red hair, blonde hair, brown hair, blue eyes, you know, brown eyes, green eyes. You don't know all that, but you know there's a baby there. And then finally the baby's born, and it's out there. Everyone sees it, everyone knows what it looks like, everyone knows it's got his mother's eyes and his dad's nose and uh, his grandpa's chin or what color hair he has. And, uh, and, uh, but it doesn't stop there. The baby grows and becomes more mature each day, becomes stronger and stronger each day until eventually it's full grown. Well, James uses this same analogy to describe how sin develops. First, it's conceived in the heart where no one can see it. Then after it is conceived, it begins to grow. It begins to get bigger. You may be able to hide it for a while, but usually there are some signs to the people who are closest to you. you got this little sin bump going on, right? And people can't see exactly what it is, but there's a few people close to you who kind of know, you know, there's something going on there, something not quite right. And then it continues to grow, and after a while, you've got this really big sin bump going on. Right? And it's still maybe hidden and people you know, aren't quite sure what the real root problem is and what's going on, but everybody knows there's something not right happening there, something not right going on with you. And then uh, uh, finally, it gives birth to open sin. This is the stage where it can be seen and named. People know it when they see it and they know what it is and, and people can say it, but uh, it doesn't stop there. If not repented of, if not turned from, the sin will continue to grow and grow and get stronger and stronger until finally it becomes a huge, unmanageable monster. And what you thought you had control of now has control of you. This is the growth of sin process, what happens with sexual sin and sexual addictions. And the first step towards freedom is to confess your sin. Don't hide it. Don't minimize it. Don't rationalize it. Wherever you feel like you are along in this process, if you feel like you're in the place where you are totally addicted and enslaved, confess it. If you feel like it's in its infancy stage, confess it now. If you feel like it's hidden from sight and it's just in your thought life, confess it. If you feel like it's just barely been conceived, confess it as sin. If you feel like you're being tempted but you haven't acted on it yet, confess that James is right, that it's your own evil desire being tempted, and then confess it and flee from it. Run away from it. And even if you feel like you've been putting up the good fight and walking in faith, and the opportunity for this kind of sin is going to present itself to you, and when it does, you should confess that sin, I recognize it, it's trying to tempt my, my, my own nature and that sin, and I don't want any part of it, and run away from it. Confess sin for what it is. And then, secondly, make no provision for the flesh. In Romans chapter 13, 14, it says this, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. 
If you're going to get free, if you're going to be free, if you're going to stay free, then you need to get radical about dealing with this issue. You need to do whatever it takes to eliminate the sources of temptation. This is not like some nice, neat bush that you trim back so it looks nice and neat. This is a weed that will only come out if you dig it out by the roots. And so here are some practical things that if you're caught up in any way with any of this, that you may need to do. You may need to get rid of all illicit material in your home and in your office. Just get rid of it. You may need to downgrade your cable or TV subscription. You know, if there are offending channels that, 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 that are a problem, you may need to downgrade that. That may sound uh, uh, radical to some of you. It is radical. Jesus said to get radical, right? He said, what? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it up. He wasn't talking about literally cutting your hand off. He was saying, this is serious. Do whatever it takes to get rid of it. If you're traveling, you may need to intentionally uh, book hotels that don't provide those channels. Or you may need to call and have them turn off those channels. If you're traveling with your family, I encourage you to, have them, to call and have them turn off those channels in your room. Put, you may need to put filtering software on your computer and your devices. You may, you may need to change your email address and your internet service provider. Because this is a 10 to $20 billion a year industry. And these people are not going to give you up without a fight. And so you must get radical if you're going to win this fight. Make no provision for the flesh. Eliminate every provision for the flesh. And then thirdly, become accountable. If you're struggling with this, and maybe even if you aren't, you need a godly person who will walk with you through this battle for your purity. A man needs a godly man. A woman needs a godly woman. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Fighting a battle is easier when you don't have to do it all alone. Now, at first, you might recoil at this idea of being accountable. You may be, may be a little bit embarrassed or, or because it brings the thing out into the light, you know, at least for one other person. There may be some, some shame involved, but do you remember what Jesus, what I, what I said in this introduction? This sin is a lot, gets a lot of its power from staying in the darkness, staying in the shadows. It wants to keep you alone and in darkness. But if you drag it kicking and screaming into the light, it's going to begin to lose its power. Find someone that you trust who's spiritual, who loves you, but is also strong enough to ask you tough questions. It could be a pastor or someone else from the congregation, but find someone you trust. You say, well, won't the pastors all freak out and go, oh my goodness, how could you possibly know? We'll just, you know what we think of you? We'll think of you as someone who's moving towards Jesus, moving away from sin and moving towards Jesus. And it'll be our privilege to help you in that. Find someone and then go a step further and set up accountability software on all your devices so that this accountability partner will be notified anytime you visit a questionable site. Then fourthly, build spirituality back into your life. Guarantee you, anyone who's involved with this stuff has had their devotional time suffer. Absolutely. Remember a minute ago we said, when we said make no provision for the flesh, we quoted Romans chapter 13, 14, which says, put on 
the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Look at the first part of that verse. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not only about taking off and getting rid of what's bad. It's about putting on what's good. When you drag this stuff into the light and get rid of it, there will be a void that's created, a void in your time, a void in your mind, a void in your thought life. And something is going to want to fill that void. And if you don't fill it with Jesus, then the most natural thing that will want to rush back in is the same stuff that you just got rid of. Remember, it reshapes your brain towards that, right? So when you get rid of it, you need to reshape it again towards Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to do everything you can to put on Jesus. Get into his word. Read it. Get into the Psalms and the Proverbs, into the letters and Gospels. Read it all the time. And when you find a verse or passage that really speaks to you, write it down and then memorize it and then talk to other people about that verse. And then get around other Christians. Be faithful to church. Join a Sunday school class. Go to Wednesday night Bible study. Join a small group. Get around other Christians all the time. Do everything you can to put Jesus Christ on. And if you need to, get in a support group. If you need to, get Christian counseling. But whatever you do, put on Jesus. Put him on on purpose. Put him on regularly and diligently because you don't just need self-help or reformation. You need transformation. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. And lastly, rebuild relationships you have damaged as God enables. It may take some time. It may take a lot of time, probably as much time as uh, the hurt has gone on. You know, so be patient with people. Be patient with loved ones if it takes some time. But as God helps you, rebuild damaged relationships. So as we close now, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to ask for you to come forward this morning. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. But I am going to ask for all of you this morning to recommit to a life of purity by the power of the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. After we close, you may, you may want to spend just a few minutes in prayer, either for yourself or for someone you know who's, who, who's caught in this. And if you need to, spend some time in repentance and confession. If you need to, follow through today by eliminating provision for the flesh that may be in your life. Follow through by uh, getting some accountability with somebody. And follow through by taking practical and deliberate steps to fill the void by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ.